Um, now, Ecclesiastes, last passage. If you remember your writing, uh, writing essays and that sort of thing, and uh, you know how you were told to kind of wrap up with a conclusion statement and uh, remind them. You know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to tell you in the in the introduction, right? And then I'm going to tell you. Right? And then in the conclusion, I'm going to tell you what I told you. Right? And, and so Solomon is sort of going through that process of saying, hey, here's where we've been. Here's what I've emphasized. Now, please apply. Please apply. Okay? It's kind of his big push here. I, I don't think there's a ton of, uh, like this, this passage is, is, there's some weird sentences there we'll, we'll explain, but not a lot of expositing needed here. It's pretty straightforward. He's kind of saying, hey, we've walked through this. I've shared with you wisdom. Now, will you please Put it into your life. The Bible says it's a really foolish thing to be a hearer of the word, but not a doer. James says it's like looking in a mirror. Well, okay, that's what I look like. And then walking away and forgetting. We don't want to do that. We want to let the word of God read us. We want to let it seep into our hearts, expose us. And then we want to step in and, and live it out, apply it, allow it to shape and form our life. And so really, that's what he's doing today. And so um, he's really going to emphasize this, like, don't wait either. Don't, don't wait until you're older. Countless people, have, how many of you have known somebody, or maybe this is part of your own story, that, that you'll get around to God and religious stuff later? Some of you may have had parents like that, people in your life, like, yeah, I mean, I'll get around to that. I, I know I need to get in church. I'll do that someday or whatever. And we, we were procrastinating on a, on, a, on a spiritual and eternal level that's really dangerous, and Solomon's saying, hey, remember your creator, verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Okay, so, so do it now. And some of you are like, well, I'm no, I'm no longer young. Well, his real point is now. Like, you're here now, and that means you're, you're closer to eternity. You're closer to your day of death. You don't know how long that's going to be. But the point is, don't wait until later. Don't wait until... Uh, you think, okay, now is the time. I'm on my deathbed. Like, don't, 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 don't assume you're going to have that opportunity. Apply it now. Okay, so um, Terry Pratchett uh, said that inside every old person, there is a young person wondering what happened. I think we can relate. It's like, man, how, like, how do we get here? I'm, I'm struggling a little bit today, if I'm being honest. My, young, my uh, oldest daughter is going to youth tonight for the first time. Uh, it's promotion Sunday, and she's stepping into sixth grade, and I, I knew that was coming, but when my wife told me that this morning, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go cry, or like something, punch something, like I, I, the weird emotion I'm feeling right now, I don't know how to feel, like, and then she was wearing my, my wife's shoes to church at one point, I don't know, she may have changed, because that's how y'all roll, but uh, at one point this morning, she had my wife's shoes on, I'm like, All right, we just need to pump the brakes, like this is weirding me out, and so we have these moments where time just kind of slaps us in the face, and you're like, where did, where did my life go, right? Where, like, where has time gone? And Solomon is saying, hey, it's going. Like, that train is still moving. Don't wait, or you will have that moment, and you will go, okay, now I get life, but, but I have no more to live. So he's saying, don't, don't do that. He's telling you it's important not to do that. So let's just walk through this. It's really the first um, eight verses. That's really what he's saying is, hey, you're going to get older, it's going to shake out for, for you know, lots of you differently. Some people age really well. Some people not so much. Some people die young. He, he's pointed out the, the unpredictability of life and the lack of, you know, it's, this is not about fairness and good people live longer. He said, no, none of that's there. So, you know, don't assume that and then know that whatever the end of your life looks like, you're not getting any younger. And he's, he's, uh, he's going to paint a picture for us here. So he says, remember your creator. Remember God. Like, get 
right with God. Set your trajectory right with God before it's too late. This is kind of the point of the book is, hey, know what's coming and then reverse engineer your life to live accordingly. He says, so do that before the evil days and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So um, in the Old Testament particularly, um, the idea of death was, was labeled as evil. It was because it was not intended in God's plan. Right? So it's important to keep in mind, like, we have the gospel, and that takes away the sting of death, and, and we rejoice in that. But nonetheless, we need to be reminded that death is a result of sin, and it wasn't a part of God's plan. You see, uh, this puts all of this in, um, in, 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 uh, in the right context for us and helps us understand all that Solomon has been teaching because if we don't understand the, the grand narrative of creation and that it was good and that fall happened when we sinned, and that's what made things frustrating. That's what made us uh, pursue things other than God and, and have this angst in us. And then that Jesus comes to redeem, right? And then the one day he's going to restore. If we don't understand all of this in the, in the big meta narrative of the scripture, we're going to miss out. And, and Solomon is, is saying, listen, uh, don't forget that death wasn't a part of God's plan. It should teach us something. In fact, he spent a few verses telling us, hey, you can learn more from going to the funeral home than you can going to the party because it could sober you up and it can, it, can, it can have an effect on you that will change the trajectory of the rest of your life and eternity if you will let it teach you. And so he's saying, hey, get right with God. Make sure you're, you surrender to God and you're living your life for God. We'll talk about why in a minute, but make sure you do that while you're young. This is the win part. He's going to go there first, and he says, do that before you get so old that you wish you wish you were there. You wish you were done. He says, there's going to come a day when, when you wake up, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I was really hoping last night was the night. Like, I'm kind of done here. Some of you know that. Your parents have been there. Friends have been there, where it's just like, hey, I, my time's up. I know where I'm going. I, I'm ready, right? So he says, don't wait until the day whenever you, you I have no pleasure in life anymore. I'm not excited that I woke up again. I'm ready to move on. Don't wait until that day. And then he says, here's what that's going to look like. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Like he's painting a picture of the end of life. In verse 3 he says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and strong men are bent and grinders cease because they are few. What is he saying? He says, your body's like, get old. He's got this staff that's been working for him in the, in the, in the day like his home and his temple. He's got all these people. I think they probably worked with it for years. He says there's coming a day, like in his old age, he's seeing these people that have served him for years and they're getting old and their hands are trembling. And these guys who used to be big and strapping and, and guard his castle, they're now, they're hunched over. Like age is taking its toll. And, and he says where the, where the grinders cease. The grinders, he's talking about his teeth. He's talking about teeth. He says when the grinders stop because there's not any. What's he saying? Their teeth are falling out. Like, like, they didn't have dentures back in the day. Like, we're not really, this just doesn't translate for us. Like, sometimes people just show up and, like, all of a sudden they got all their teeth now. And it's like, whoa, that's a big, bright smile. And, you know, because we lose our teeth, we get older, we, we've got means to, to get those replaced. Well, they didn't, right? Teeth are falling out. Like, I, I was thinking about that. Like, that, like, toothaches, dentistry wasn't, the, at least it wasn't, it was, it's not what it is now. And so, like, I don't know if they're just taking a rock and, like, knocking those things out when they get bad. Like, but it's not fun. But he's saying, listen, getting old? You're not chewing your food much. You're gumming that mess. You're not eating steak anymore. You got no teeth to grind it. Like, you're, you're, you're gumming it. Like, that's coming. Don't, don't foolishly think that it's not coming. This is the picture that he's painting for us. 
And those that look through the windows are dimmed. What's that? Eyesight. He's saying there's going to be a day when your eyes start to fail. Like, you know, they don't have the optical, you know, options of glasses and contacts in this time. So he's saying don't let life pass you by to where you're not able to enjoy this. And, and, and we're going to see that what he's really pushing us to is, is enjoy the life. Like God has a life for you. And when you live it with him, you're able to enjoy this stuff. You're able to enjoy food and your friends and people and the sights and the sounds. And so don't wait until it's too late to enjoy that stuff with God. Some of us think we're, we're going to, okay, let me, let me get all of, let me sow my oats, let me do my thing, and then I'll give God what, you know, what's left on him. He says, no, no, don't, don't make that mistake. That, that would be foolish. Instead, do it before these things happen. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, we're he- not hearing it well anymore. And one rises at the sound of a songbird. How many of you have reached that age where you just can't, you can't sleep very late anymore, and even the, small, like the, the slightest sound wakes you up in the morning? I think that's what he's talking about. Like some of your grandpa's just like, I don't know, I just I heard a single bird outside my window. I was awake for the rest of the day. Uh, it's 4 a.m. or whatever. And he's saying, like, your your body isn't gonna do what you want it to do anymore. You're not able to sleep well, you're not able to see well, you're not able to heal, hear well. The daughters of the song are, are brought low. You can you can no longer hear your your kids playing, you no longer hear the entertainment that I mean, this guy had all of the the means to be entertained and have pleasures just abounding in his life, but he can no longer enjoy them because he can't hear well. He said, this, this is what's coming. Uh, verse 5, they're afraid also of what's high and, and terrors are in the way and the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. He says, I know you think, you know, sexual desire, these things, like he, he's tried that. He's been as hedonistic as anybody else. He says, there's going to come a day when, when, when that fails. And, and they didn't, never mind, I was going they didn't have pills for that. So um, he's just saying, this is a reality. That, that, that's, and because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners are among the streets, he says, death is coming. That is how your life is going to end. Don't wait before the silver cord is snapped, but the golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern. All of these are just ways of saying when your life comes to an end. So probably abruptly, probably not in a way you're, you're, you were planning and the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Saying, listen, it doesn't matter how fit you are, how healthy you are, how smart you are, how great your desire level is right now. You're headed here. This is how this shakes out. Eyesight goes, hearing, teeth, <laughs> he's just saying, it's headed there. Don't let what, like the life that you have left, don't squander it. Don't squander it pursuing things that are vanity. And this has to be heard in the context of all the other 11 chapters. If you haven't been with us as we walk through this book, uh, the, the summary is, hey, uh, this guy, Solomon, had all the means that he could, that he could ever have, all of the, um, you know, Pleasure, money, power, um, wisdom, learning, um, armies, admiration, celebrity, all the things that the culture or your own flesh tells you that you need in order to be happy. All the, all of the, 
impulse thoughts that you've had. Man, if I just had this, if I just had that, if, if my spouse was just this, or, if, or if, if my spouse was just that, or if I could just get like this, then my spouse would be happy. Like, he's been able to just do that. He, he, he had uh, 300 wives, 700 concubines. Like, he's, he's tried that, or maybe it was flipped. I always get confused, but a lot of women. That's the, that's the real summing. Like he, he, could, he could take his pick, like, and, and, he's, and he's, what he said is it, none of it worked. None of it worked. He said, I've tried it all. So don't spend your youth chasing things that are vain. They're fleeting. Instead, instead, give your life over to God. Lay it out in the perspective of eternity. This is all of it's vain under the sun, but when we, when we look to God who transcends all of this under the sun, then it starts to put these things in place. So don't wait. That's the big idea of those first few verses. Your life, is, you're never getting any younger. It's, it's only going downhill, so don't wait. Besides being wise, he says in verse 9, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Okay, so this is sort of editor's notes, if you will, kind of commenting on Solomon's manifesto that he wrote here in Ecclesiastes. And he says, like Solomon was wise, but he didn't just live in his ivory tower and hold on to his wisdom for himself. He really cared about people and, and wanted to deliver, um, he wanted to be helpful for people. He wanted to deliver the, the wisdom and the knowledge that he had earned, that, uh, that he had learned the hard way oftentimes. He wanted to make sure that everybody else had opportunities for that. So he studied and arranged all of these different proverbs, all of these different things. He, he would learn and he would write some down himself and, and he put them together, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. What's he talking about? Well, we have a book of proverbs in our, in our Bible and most of those were arranged by King Solomon. Um, and, 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 he, and it seems to imply that he did other things as well, but he, he made an effort to, to share this with other people. So this is, again, uh, just an imploring to, to not take this as just one guy's opinion, one guy writing from out there that doesn't know anything about your life. He's saying, no, no, this is a guy who actually cares, who's actually lived a life and has the, the, the authority and the clout to say this beyond being ordained by God, which we're going to get in a moment, we're going to get to, but even just from a, from a credibility standpoint of living life, he's saying, hey, he has earned this authority and he's sharing it. He doesn't have to, but he is. He's sharing it with us. And the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Hey, we talked about at the beginning of this book. He really set out to say, hey, what's good? What's good to live my life for? What's good to do under the sun? What will bring me meaning? What will fill my soul? I want to I see so that I can share. And so he sought to write words of delight. And, and what, what did he do? Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. We're beginning to see that this idea of, of, of feeling satisfied, this idea of, of actually you know, having meaning in life and, not, and getting rid of this angst and this emptiness is, is not disconnected from truth. It's not that we have to choose between enjoying our life and, and indulging our flesh or serving God. He's going to start to bring these things together in a very clear conclusion and saying, yeah, he, he sought out to write words of delight, things that would make people happy, things that would sell books about how you live your best life now. Like he, he said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to set out, I'm going to write what will make people's lives really, really good. But through that process, he ended up uprightly writing truth, wisdom, things that we would be reading thousands of years later 
and, and God would be using in our own lives to, to shape us, to form us unto his image, and to bring us joy and actual delight. But it's not the route that the world promises. Okay, so let's keep going. Verse 11, he says, The words of the wise are like goads, and they're like nails uh, firmly fixed are the collected sayings, right? So he's, he's, there's a purpose with all the, the words and, and the, the, the arrangement of the scriptures and the Proverbs that God has put together. There's a purpose, and we're going to come back to that and actually end with that. But they're all given by one shepherd, he said. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end. There, the, much study is a weariness of flesh. And so he's saying, like, we're, again, we're going to end there with the purpose of, of God's word and keeping us on the narrow path and keeping us in God's will so that we can have life abundant. So, but, but I want to get to the end of the matter, and then we're going to circle back to that. So verse 13, uh, the end of the matter, he says, all has been heard. So this, this is his summary. He says, I, I've, my full study of life is on the table. I've shared with you my wisdom. I've taken you down. All the paths that the world has promised will lead you to fulfillment, and I've showed you that there's emptiness. Here's the conclusion. Here's the sum. Here's what we've been waiting for. And it's a, it's, it feels a bit anticlimactic until you dig in deep, but it's really succinct. He sums it all up by saying this, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed to judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's the purpose of life? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to get something out of this? How am I supposed to know I'm doing the right thing? He says, listen, it's right here. Fear God. And obey his commandments. For this is the, this is whole duty of man. I don't know what your translation says, but um, in the original language, it would really have just said, this is the whole of man. That, that word duty is kind of put in there to help us understand a bit more. But really, it's just saying, like, this is, this is what it means to be human. The whole of, of, of man. Like, what it means to be made as an image bearer of God. What is, what is our purpose at the deepest, most existential level of our life? Like, Fear God and obey his commands. Now, this sounds like something you might expect to hear at church, right? You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do the right thing. I'm supposed to follow his rules. I get that. Like, like you're not surprised by that. And we hear this sort of in that same language of things we know we should do. The responsible thing to do, right, would be to, you know, do what God says, follow his word. Like, right? We hear it that way. Right? That, that, it falls into that same category of the things that we know we should do. Start eating better. Start exercising more. Start saving more money. Stop, start spending less, right? It falls into that list of like responsible things to do. So we hear it as such. And that's what, uh, you know, we feel like we have all the time in the world. And that's what leads us to this procrastination that he was warning about in the beginning. So we go, okay, yeah, yeah, I know I need to do that. I know, I know, I know. I just, just let me get, right? Like we just fill in the blank with, our, I, I know, I know. Just, I, I'll get to it. How many, y'all have kids? Y'all try to get kids to do the stuff they're supposed to do, like, you know, pick up their plate after dinner, whatever it is, and, you're like, and they're like, yeah, yeah, hold on, just let me finish this, right? And then they're 17 cartwheels later, and they're outside at the neighbor's yard. I'm like, ah, your plate was right there, you know? But, but there's this idea of, like, I got time, I'll do it later. It's this dismissive kind of thing. We do that with the Lord. We think we have time. We think we can get to it later. We think it's, we know it's the responsible thing to do. So we're not, it's not what we want to do, but it's what we need to do. And so we're inclined to pursue what we want to do first. And, and this is where it's so important to hear what Solomon is saying in the whole context of what he's been saying, because he's actually not telling us this in this like, here's what you should do kind of a posture. 
He's actually telling us this, like, hey, you want to find meaning? You want to live your best life, period? Not now, but forever and always? Like, you want to get what life is about? You want to know the secret to life? Like, this is the angle that he's getting at. This is, this is the title of the books that, that would be flying off the shelf if people thought you actually had the secret to life. Solomon's saying, I got it. It's not what you think it's going to be, but I've got it. This is the angle that he's taken. It's not about this, what we should do, and this, you know, responsible thing. He says, like, if, if you want to enjoy your life, if you want to know what the meaning of life is, you want to get the most out of it, you want to not feel frustrated by your life, you want to not feel frustrated by, you know, achieving your goals, but still not, you know, feeling like, feeling like there's more. You want to transcend, like, man, that just makes me think of the, the, the clip. Uh, you could find this in, in so many examples in contemporary culture of sports stars and celebrity, all these people that have arrived. But one of the most blatant ones is Tom Brady from years ago after winning multiple Super Bowls. He, so, so this is a guy on the pinnacle, like he's I don't know, he's probably been named Sexiest Man of the Year. He's, he's married to a, a supermodel. He's got Super Bowl rings, millions and millions of dollars. And if you Google uh, this interview, he's there in tears, like ch getting choked up, going like, I thought, I thought this would, like, is this it? And he, and he says, there's got to be more. Like, learn from that. Like, you're not going to do better in life than Tom Brady. You're just not. You're like, Jordan, you don't know. I got a lot of potential. Yeah, but <laughs> bro's 45 still slinging footballs and winning. Like, oh, man, you're not going to do better than him. Let his wisdom that comes from, a, frankly, a, a dark place and a place of emptiness propel you in to the, to the arms of God where you do find fulfillment. The, the thing that there's more, like the, the question he's asking, we have the answer. Solomon has done better than Tom Brady. Solomon is better looking. He's, he's had more, like all, all more money, more power, all of those things. And he's saying this, you want to know what the secret to life is. Stop looking at things under the sun. Stop, stop looking that direction. You want, you want to have something that will transcend the vanity of this world. You want something that isn't vanity, that you actually can grab a hold of. You want to feel like life matters. So much of depression, so much of uh, insecurity, so much of, of the darkness that weighs over our life and anxiety is, is not feeling like we have a purpose. That's why Rick Warren's book from years and years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, is still one of the, the most popular books ever because he was, he was answering a question that we're all asking and all longing to know, what's my purpose? Solomon is, is getting there. He's saying, this, this is the deal. You want to feel like you're contributing to the good of the world. You want to feel like you're a part of something that, is, that, that will last, that's bigger than yourself. You want to stop losing sleep over circumstances in life. And whether you've made the right decision, all of this is where he's leading us to. This is the first 11 chapters all culminating. He's saying, listen, this all brings us to this conclusion. If you will track with him from point A to point B, this is where we are. We are at this place where we have no other explanation. We have no other argument standing before Solomon saying, yeah, but can I just try this? And he goes, I mean, you can, but it won't work. So we're all standing here with him, and he's saying, this is the answer. This is the answer. Fear God, keep his commandments. And again, we can feel like, oh, I was really hoping for something more practical that I could really apply 
Can I get that joy today, please, right? Like, but here's, here's the deal. We, we, we're reviewing it wrongly. We're, we're seeing it as this religious duty, this responsible thing. And really, he's inviting us into what John Piper would call Christian hedonism. He's inviting us to, to redirect our desires. You see, what we feel like God is trying to do is take from us and tell us what we can't do all the time. We feel like God's rules are, are, you know, he's just a cosmic killjoy that's waiting for us to have fun and then remind us that he's wrote a rule that tells us we can't do that. And we come at it with that posture so often, but in reality, that's not what the Bible at all says, and certainly not what Ecclesiastes says, but I think C.S. Lewis, and we've shared this quote before, but I think it's so helpful and so poignant to, to remind us of what God is actually exposing in us here is not that we should be ashamed of our desires and of our longing for more, but we need to redirect them. Okay, so I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but actually too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You just sat with that for a minute. What, what if God actually wasn't mad at you for having desires? What if that wasn't the problem? What if what C.S. Lewis is saying, and it actually echoes what Solomon has been saying, and it, and it explains what Jesus said so often, like, what if that were true? What if that were actually true? How would that change your life? If he's saying that God's not angry that you have desires, he's actually saying, yeah, I, I know I put those there. That's not the point. It, it's not that you have desires. It's that they're, they're too weak. They're too easily satisfied. I'm inviting you something higher. I'm inviting you some, something beyond, something that will satisfy, something that will get deep. This is the good news of the gospel. John chapter 10, verse 10 um, is, is another famous passage, but Jesus is getting at the heart of this. And He's talking about himself being the good shepherd who Solomon mentions here. He says, all of these words that are actually meant to leave us, lead us to life, they come from one shepherd. Solomon is, 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 is a messianic um, prophecy looking ahead to, like, he's the one who's written all these words, and he's the one who's coming to fulfill all these words. And Jesus says, yeah, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10 is, is probably entitled that in your Bible, I am the good shepherd. I want to, I want to read verse uh, 7, and, and we'll... We'll go down to verse 11 and, and really highlighting verse 10. But Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep, and all who come before me are thieves and robbers. All who've tried to you know, share wisdom before, they're actually just trying to steal from you. But the sheep did not listen to them, false prophets. The people that really belong to God didn't listen to them. He says, I'm the door. Anyone who enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. This idea of finding pasture is an idea of finding satisfaction and pleasure and, and a full stomach. Sheep, if you've studied them, they're foolish animals. Like, they can't take care of themselves. If, if you've been around them, you know this. Um, if you haven't, you should study it. It's really fascinating. It starts to really illuminate why God uses this allegory for us as his people. We're his sheep and, we're his, we're the sh and he's the shepherd because a sheep 
are, are foolish creatures. They, they will get distracted. They will run off from the flock, and they will get themselves hurt. They will get themselves caught. They'll fall off cliffs. They'll get caught in, in, in briars. They will wander away where they're vulnerable. They don't know how to find the next source of food. So a shepherd is really, really important for, for, sheep's, or for sheep to do well, to flourish, and to keep living. And so uh, Psalm 23 is a beautiful poetic passage that most of us can probably quote some portion of, and you hear it at, at funerals, you hear it at different at points, and it's, it's, it's used a lot, but it's painting this picture of he's our shepherd, and, and it says it makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads us by still waters. What's up with that? Well, he's saying we don't know how to find life on our own. Like, interestingly, sheep won't, won't drink out of, a, out of running water. It freaks them out. I had a we, uh, we uh, bought a, a dog bowl years ago. It was gravity-fed food and water. A dog would not get near the, the water one because it bubbled. It freaked her out. She was like, uh-uh. I'm falling for that trick. That's a, that's a trap. I'm gonna drink. I don't know what she thought, but she wouldn't drink it. We just had to throw it away. Sheep won't drink from a babbling brook. Like they, they, they need the still water. And it says that God makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us by still waters. That's a father who wants us to be content, who wants us to have somewhere. Like this idea of a green pasture for a sheep is like, okay, this is home. This is where I can, this is where I can settle in. This is where I can get what I'm longing for. Solomon says, hey, all these words are headed toward one shepherd. Jesus comes and says, I am that shepherd. I am the life. I am the one who can lead you to the place of fulfillment for your soul. He says, verse, verse, uh, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to this. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. The life that Jesus wants for you is not a life of rule following and watching your back and wondering if you've... Ups no, it is a life of fullness and abundance. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What is this picture he's painting? He's saying, listen, the whole world is like sheep wandering off the, off the grid, away from the pasture, thinking that they have a good idea, thinking that they know what, you know, they just want to indulge this impulse. The whole world is headed in that direction. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the way is wide and the gate is wide open that leads to destruction. But the one that leads to life is narrow and the path is hard. And he's saying, I'm the good shepherd who's, who's leading you into the narrow gate, leading you down the narrow way. And my words are meant to keep you on that path. So, so God is not trying to take from you. He's not trying to, get, hopefully, like God's not up there going, okay, hope they get to Journey Church this morning, and I hope they realize that if they'll start following my rules, then their life will be happy. No, no, he's saying, listen, I hope that you see that nothing in this world will satisfy you until you surrender yourself to me. And when you find your greatest treasure, your greatest hope in me, God says, then you can rightly enjoy and live this life that I've given you here. Then you'll be able to enjoy the, the things that come down the pike. Even when it's suffering, you won't lose hope. You, like the, the rest of the psalm says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because God is with me, right? This is the promise that God says, I'm going to come alongside you. I want to fill you up. I want to give you life. This is, this is what he's leading us to. This is what he's longing for us to understand, that I, I want to give you life, and I want to give it to you abundantly.
this is the point of Ecclesiastes. Don't try to find it in material things. Don't try to find it in success in this world. Don't try to find it by achieving you know, horizontal success, being better than other people. Look vertically. Look beyond this world for your hope. How do you do that? Well, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I laid down my life for my sheep. What does that mean? He's painting this picture that all of us, all of humanity, are like lost sheep with no hope. They're literally not intelligent enough to save themselves. They will die because of their foolishness. That's how she, like you leave a sheep on her own, it's not going to end well. He's saying that's true of humanity. You're like, well, Jordan, I'm not that bad. Well, yeah, you are. The Bible says there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who's good. No one who's righteous. We're all on our way to hell. The, the, the path is really wide. The whole world thinks they have good ideas. They think they're, they're on the right track. But Jesus says that road ends with hell. That road ends with eternal destruction, eternal emptiness. But the good news is, Jesus says, but that's why I came. I came to step in, to make a way, to lay down my own life because nobody, even if you figured out that you were ignorant and, and, and foolish and on your way to hell, like you can't save yourself. Like you can't turn around and swim upstream and, and do better and get back to God. You are utterly lost and utterly depraved unless someone goes into the crowd, into the mess, and starts pulling people out. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what Jesus did when he stepped into our world and he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He died the death that we were supposed to die on the cross. He rose up out of the grave, proclaimed victory to all who would trust in his name, and he started going and getting people for his kingdom. He sends his spirit out. He sends his church out, proclaiming the good news of the gospel and says, all who would believe can come and have life in me. So that, that maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been wandering down the wide path and you have no real meaning and purpose in life, but you got here somehow. This is God plucking you out of that stream of, of foolishness and that path toward hell and saying, this is the way to life. Will you come to me? Hebrews would say, today's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Solomon says, don't wait until you're older. Don't think you have time. Come today and trust in Jesus and, and let your heart be transformed from the inside out. You were a prisoner. Like You may be a prisoner still, but you don't have to be anymore. Jesus can set you free and set your feet on a solid rock so that you can have joy and life in the midst of this chaotic world. Why? Because then you have a promise of a life beyond this world, a, a promise of, of a life beyond death. So then you can look at, at this picture that is painted here of teeth falling out and no more hearing and, and you can't see good anymore and you know all your friends are bent over and you can go, yep, I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer. Now I don't have to fear that. Death, where is your sting? Come on. Because when I pass from this world to the next, that means I am with Jesus. And Paul says, man, to live is Christ. It's good. We got, we got work to do. But to die, that's the real gain. That's when we really receive our reward. So, so now you can, you can face whatever comes at you, suffering, hardship, failure, loss, and know that you have a hope that transcends it all. And then, beyond that, you can actually enjoy this life. You can actually enjoy your, your relationships. You can enjoy your food. Well, you're not trying to get something out of them that they can't give you. You can actually enjoy them. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what John Piper calls Christian hedonism. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
that God's not looking for a bunch of ho-hum Christians that really don't like their life. He's looking for a bunch of people that will find their greatest joy in, in him and then be sent out to be ambassadors for that, to have a purpose, to have meaning, to have hope. And this is what Solomon's saying, don't wait until it's too late. So how do you do that? How do you stay there? How do you, how do you maybe you got to get back there. He's, he says, remember Revelation says, remember too, uh, he's writing to one of the churches, he says, hey, I got, I got something against you. You've left your first love. Some of you, that's, that's you. You were, you were there with Jesus. You were getting your fulfillment. You were all in. You were reading your Bible. When you first got saved, man, you told everybody you could about Jesus, and you, you were just all in. You got it. And, and now maybe that's not really true of your life. It, there's a disconnect. There's this cognitive dissonance that's happening between how you actually live your life and what you know to be true. And, and, and Solomon's saying, hey, you might need to remember your first love. You might need to remember back to when Jesus plucked you up. That's what Jacob reminded us of in, in uh, communion today. Remember what, what Jesus plucked you out of and get back to that commitment. Get back to that level of passion and pursuing your God and do it now while you're young. Do it now while you have the life that you have left. Do it now. He's, he's saying this is, this is what he's pushing us toward. But how, how do you do that? How do you get back to that if you're falling out? I want to just end with verses 11 and 12. I don't want to uh, remind us of the purpose of God's word. It's not a, a box to check off. Some of you are like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to have a, a quiet time. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to be disciplined. And, and it's not wrong. But you need to have the right posture when you're opening up this word. Okay, I, I remember one of the most poignant things that I heard Pastor Darren, and if you, you know his story, and, and as he was processing kind of when his life took a bad turn, it uh, at processing repentance, he shared with us as, as a journey staff, uh, he says, hey, when, when, my, when my Bible became my toolbox and not my treasure chest, that was a turning point for me. That's haunted me ever since. Because I can do that. I, I can come to this because i got to preach it. I can come to this because I need something. He's, we should be pouring over this, expecting to get life out of it. it it's a treasure. It, it's, it's something we love and we hold on to that pours life into us. And so here's what he's saying. Verse 11 and 12, he says, you know, verse 9 and 10, he says, hey, he wrote like the, the, the preacher and uh, all this came from the, the, the good shepherd. This word is for our good. This comes from one shepherd, the good shepherd. It's for our good. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed, uh, collected sayings, right? They're, they're there for a reason. They're given by the one shepherd. And, and my son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end. and much study, there is a weariness of flesh. Listen, he's saying, be careful of thinking that you need something other than the Bible to really fix your life. You're like, yeah, I know. I mean, I know the Bible's good, but like, I need to know how to like not suck at work, so I'm reading this book, or I need to know how to not do this, or whatever. He's saying, I mean, there might be wisdom there, but beware. Because he's saying, there's always going to be somebody writing a new book. Always going to be somebody that's got a new book deal. Always somebody who has a new idea. Beware. Be careful. I think he's teaching us two things. One is the sufficiency of Scripture, and two is the efficacy of Scripture. That not only is Scripture enough for us, what he's saying is this, is this is enough. Like what God has provided for us, his revelation in the Scripture, it's sufficient for a godly life. Meaning if we had nothing else, no commentators, no other writers, like this is enough for us to live our life. This is a part of the Reformation. Part of the Reformation, solo Scripture, like it, it means that like Scripture is enough. It's sufficient. So yeah, those other things might be helpful, but they should be helpful in helping you understand this. 
If they're leading you away from this or in addition to this in a way that's like, okay, yeah, but you know, this, like, the, like you're going to hear this. The Bible's antiquated. The Bible's not helpful for today's world. So you, you need this wisdom. You need this progressive. You need this enlightenment. Beware, he says. God's word is what you need, and it serves a purpose. So it's, it's sufficient, but it's also effective. What does he say? It, it's like goads. If you don't know what goads is, this is long, like, uh, sharp points on the end of these rods that they would use to, to direct, usually oxen, but I think they used them with sheep a little bit. Usually they had the hook. Sheep, you know, you'd be a little generous. Hey, hey, stupid, just come this way, right? Just, just hook them back onto the deal. But oxen and, and, you know, bigger livestock, you had to really jab them, you know, they're, they're going the wrong direction. You had to get on the other side and, and jab them in the, in the flesh to redirect them. This is the idea of goads, and you had them on either side as you're trying to if anybody's ever moved, I grew up on a cattle farm. You had to move them from field to field. You had to move them down the road. You had to have several people on hand or dogs or whatever because you, you got to keep them going the right direction, right? And so this idea of goads is, is on either side to, to get them back on the path so that they're going where they need, so they don't lead to harm, so they don't get lost. He's saying this is the purpose that God's word serves in our life is to keep us on the narrow path. It's to keep us on the path to life. It's not to steal our joy. When God gives you rules, he's a good father trying to lead you to life. He's not a grumpy old man trying to steal your fun. He's never trying to take from you when he gives you law, when he gives you rules. He's always trying to lead you to life. And this is why he says all of this comes from a good shepherd. So how do you keep yourself in, the, in this, this place of fearing God and obeying his commands? Well, you need to have your, your Bible open. You need to learn to love the word. You need to let it have its impact on your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, says that God's word is sufficient and effective. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. That means that, yeah, Solomon is, is what we presume to be the author of Ecclesiastes, but God is the one guiding him, actually inspiring him, controlling the words that he's written. So it, it all comes from God's multiple authors over generations and years, but it's all written by God for us to know God and to have what we need for godliness in life. It's all breathed out by God, and, it, and it's all useful. It's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That idea of complete is, is whole, like back to what Solomon said. This is the whole of man. This is not just the whole duty of man. It's not what we're supposed to do. This is what it means to be human. It's to do what God has, has laid before us to do. To, to live our lives in, in fear and in obedience. And he's talked about both of those things through the book. Over and over again, he said, hey, you got, you got to fear God. You'll mess everything up if you don't start with the fear of the Lord. You know, Proverbs 1, Psalms, a few different Psalms, can't remember which ones. They say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is what leads us to life. And, and it's, yes, it's this respect and, and awe and ad, like admiration. That's true. But I don't think we need to separate this idea of actual terror of actual fear, like we need to have a right perspective of God in his holiness and his righteousness, and that's what keeps us humble. That's what keeps us reminded of he's God and we're not. Solomon said that. Hey, don't forget, God's in heaven. You're here on earth. Know your place. 
Don't get too big for your britches. Don't start thinking you know more than he does. Start to, don't start telling God what you're going to do. Surrender your life to him and live in both fear of him and obedience. They go hand in hand. But it is, it is possible. Some people would say they fear God. Some people would claim Christianity. Some people would even live a spiritual life. But they don't really bother with obeying. They don't really bother with doing what God actually says. They're all in for a spirituality. They're all in for a label. They're all in for, yeah, I, you know, I love God, but, I, I, well, God says you're not supposed to live that way. I know, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right? On the other side, you have people that just want to obey the commands. They want to say, okay, what, what's the religious, what, what's, the, what's the list? I'll do it. Let me do those things. Let me live rightly. Let me help other people. Let me not lie. Let me live with integrity. I'll, I'll do those things. Can't do them perfectly, but I can do them better than other people. And they'll get their, their righteousness from saying, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm a better person than the rest of, you know, my crowd, my family, this world, whatever. He says, no, no, no. You, you have no fear of God. You only have fear of man, and you think if you're, as long as you're doing better than the majority of people, you can see you're okay. He says, you have no fear of God. Other people say, yeah, I got fear of God, but you're, but you're not obeying his commands. You have to be doing both. And, and, and 1 John says, listen, if you love Jesus, you will be doing both. There will be a natural compulsion in you that we're transformed from the inside out. It's not like, oh, I got to get really good at obeying his commands. I got to make sure that fear is there. Where this all comes from is a realization of who God is and a surrendering of our futile and vain lives under his purposes. When we realize that, we will have a fear and we will have an inner compulsion from the Holy Spirit to obey. We're transformed from the inside out. Beautiful pictures in the Bible about God taking what was external on the Ten Commandments and on stone on the Ten Commandments. And, and he says to Jeremiah, he says to Isaiah, hey, there's coming a day when I'm going to take what's external and written on stone and I'm going to make it internal and I'm going to write it on your hearts. I'm going to take out the hearts of stone that you have and I'm going to give you hearts of flesh. And on those hearts of flesh is going to be my law and and. and that's going to be put inside of you, and you're going to long to obey Jesus. And so the, the sum of all of Ecclesiastes, the sum of the Bible is, hey, stop trying to get there on your own. Stop trying to do better, be better. Instead, surrender to Jesus and give him your life and live for him. It, puts, it reorders everything. You get to unapologetically pursue him with all of your desires and give your life over holistically to him. And then you find meaning, you find hope, and you find a transcendent purpose that goes beyond the circumstances of whatever job you have or what your relationships are like. Solomon says, don't wait. Hebrews says, don't wait. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't harden your heart. Do it while you're young. Do it while you have life left. Let's pray. God, help us to, to not just be hearers of your word, but doers. Help us to receive this word that you inspired King Solomon to write. Help us to receive your word because it is your word. Help us to receive you as the good shepherd. Help us to surrender our lives to you, to let go of the futile things that we're holding on to, believing that in them we will find life. I pray that you would make yourself big. Even as we sing this morning, as we just pray this prayer right now, that you would send your spirit to overwhelm us there's people all throughout this room in different places. Some have been following you for years and, and they need to remember the, light, the, the, the zeal and the passion they had when they first met you. 
Others are here and they're on the wide path that leads to destruction and they have no hope, no meaning, no purpose and they're not sure that you could save somebody like them. They're not sure about this religion thing. They're not sure about following Jesus. I pray that you would reveal yourself powerfully to them this morning. That they would throw open their arms and loosen the grip of their hands of the things of this world and come and run to you, Jesus. Would your spirit do that kind of work and beyond. We know there's needs that weren't addressed by specifically or explicitly in today's sermon, but we know that you're a good father, that you know your children. I pray that you would minister to them now in this time. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, our invitation is that